0: I'm looking forward to uh, being in the word with you today. Last week we started a new series called The Supremacy Clause based on Article 6, Paragraph 2, Section 2 of the Constitution where it says that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. So if a bunch of people get together in a state and decide certain... that they think certain things should work a certain way in their state... Then that has to be compared uh, with the Constitution, and if the Constitution disagrees, it's the Constitution that wins the wrestling match every time. So we talked last week about how Paul is writing to this little church in Colossa, and it's a brand new church; it's not very big, and a thing called a philosophy called Gnosticism is is kind of penetrating through the ranks of the church and Paul from house arrest in Rome is addressing the issue. And last week we talked about chapter 1 of the of the book of the letter of Col- to the colossians chapter 1 verse 15 starts out Paul's argument that Jesus is is supreme over everything else. He's preeminent over everything else. So Paul makes the argument that he's that he is God. We talked about how he's the visible image of God. He makes the argument that he is Uh, the creator that that without him nothing was created and he finalized the argument with that he's the authority over everything his death and resurrection from the dead gave him final authority over everything and so so if in the Constitution the this the article six paragraph two of that constitution of our constitution is arguing the supreme That it's the supreme law of the land. Then the second chapter of the letter to the Colossians, starting at about verse 6, is like making an argument before the Supreme Court over a state law. We're going to read chapter 2, verse 6, and through about 15, and we're going to find out that Paul's making the argument that our faith is going to be tested. There's going to be circumstances where it comes in, but this is what we hold to be true. And so why don't you stand to your feet in honor of reading the word? We'll turn to Colossians chapter two, starting in verse six. We'll read through verse 15. So you can find that on the screens beside me. You can find in your paper Bible or the Bible app or hope, or myhc.church. I think you find it there. You can find it in the phone app. Hope Community Church phone app. So say amen if you're ready. Amen. All right. Colossians chapter two, verse six. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, first we thank you that you've, that you've saved us. We thank you that you forgave us of our sins. God, we we thank you that you're ruler over everything. That there's nothing we could bring to you this morning that you don't have authority over. And Lord, we thank you that we get to come together and look into your word and have it change us. We pray that it would transform our minds today. Lord, we pray that we'd submit to your authority in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Paul starts out, verse 6, making this... Um, two-pointed statement. He says that we were made alive in Christ and we are rooted and being built up. That he uses the term rooted and built up. And those are kind of two different things. One is talking about plant life and the other one's more like a building or construction term. He's, he's, He's talking about our faith that we have. Our faith is rooted in Christ Jesus. He's the foundation of everything. We learned last week that everything started from Him. He was the beginning. Before Him, there was nothing. Everything started in Christ. And then through Christ, through Christ's death and resurrection, then we have been saved. So He is the foundation. He is the root of everything. John 15 talks about how how He is the vine and we are the branches. There's nothing we can do. We can't grow without being connected to the vine. So the vine is the root of our faith. Jesus himself is the root of our faith. So Paul says we're to be rooted so that's where everything comes from, faith in Christ. That we are saved by faith through grace in Christ alone. That's it. So that's our root system, but he doesn't he doesn't step, stop there. Remember it's this it's this two ideas put together, rooted and built up. So some of you were rooted a long time ago. Some of you were rooted 40 years ago, 50 years ago. For me, I was rooted, I don't know, four or five years old in a church in, uh, in Virginia. But that faith, if I just rooted it and it wasn't built up, would not be a very beneficial faith today. So Paul makes sure that he doesn't just say, hey, just start, just have faith. No, he says the, the point is, is that you establish faith in Jesus, that he does redeem you of your sins, but then there's this process of building it up, of leaning back into Christ. And that's what we talked about all, uh, the beginning of the year through the, through the closer series where we were talking about spiritual disciplines, building up our faith through the, through the way we draw closer to Christ. Through reading our Bibles, through prayer, through, through fellowship, through generosity, through all these things. So Paul is saying, don't just be rooted. Rooted is important. You have to establish faith in Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. You have to establish faith in Christ. But we don't stop there. It's not a child faith. It doesn't always stay a child faith. What happens is, as we are rooted, then we have a foundation to build on. Now it's important, you can't build on any foundation as, as maybe some of you found out. Not everything in life is worth building upon. Paul is saying, he's reinforcing what he said in the first chapter. Jesus is the foundation for everything. So he's the foundation. So now it's our responsibility to be built up in him. It's our responsibility to lean back into God over and over, day after day after day, that the relationship is built up. He's not content to settle for something that remains at ground level. We're to be built up in the faith. We should think of ourselves as a kind of perpetual construction site. Paul would say over and over again, things like, not that I've attained all this, but I keep pressing on. He he always had the image of, of just trying to reach out And continually take hold of of the faith that is out in front of him. It didn't mean that he didn't have any faith behind him. It didn't mean that he didn't have a good start. didn't mean that he didn't have a great foundation. But there was always more to Jesus than what he was currently experiencing. And that's the beauty of our Christian walk. That we are a perpetual construction site. That there's no, there's no final shingle put on top of it. There's no, there's no last little doorknob put on and there's no last paint day. It's, it's until we meet him, we are under construction. So Paul says that. He says, be rooted and built up in the faith. Christ is supreme over our lives. He, our lives. He is the root of, uh, of our faith. He is the one who's established us. He is the one that's given us eternal life, but there is more to be found out about him. There's a deeper relationship. And Paul's, Paul's drawing the church in, in Colossae to, to pull into that. Don't stop. Be built up. Continue over and over and over again. Paul would say this to the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter three, verse 10, he said he said it this way, that I may know him, And the power of his resurrection. So Paul had this consistent idea that I want to know him more. I want to know him more tomorrow than I did today. It doesn't matter what's happening around me. If I have the opportunity to know him more, that's what I'm going to build upon. I'm not going to build upon some shaky foundation that that that's culture and moves around all the time. No, I'm I'm going to build on the foundation that never moves. The foundation, the rock of my salvation, we used to call it. And and Paul is saying, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Because the next thing he will say here, verse eight, is the danger if we don't. Now now I know. I know you have may have heard a philosophy where you come to Christ and everything in your life gets better. And um, and everything just works out perfectly after you come to Jesus. Well, that has not been my experience. <laughs> my experience has been a little bit different than that. You come to Jesus and you still walk through difficulties. You still have people lie to you. You still have people cheat. You still, you still make mistakes. You could still be addicted. You could still have problems. You could still get sick. You could still have kids that go off the deep end. You could still have a marriage that's in trouble. You could All these things could still happen. You could still believe a bad thing. Philosophy. If you're not careful, so what Paul does is he establishes again in chapter two that he is Jesus is supreme, and we are to be and we are to be rooted in Him and built up in Him. Because verse eight of chapter two, he says, "This is the problem. You could be taken captive if you're not careful. You could be taken captive by thought processes by by philosophies that are not rooted in Christ." So he says it like this, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So he's saying, remember, be built, be rooted and built up because your faith will be tested. Your faith will be tested. I I read a quote this week and I I, I was flipping through things and I saw it. And, and I didn't figure out who said it. So if, if you know who said it, um, give them credit for me. It said this You could hang around good people that all agree and still be thinking the wrong thing. You could hang around good people who all agree and still be thinking the wrong thing. The test, listen to me, church, I need you to lean in for a second. The test of accuracy of a philosophy is not that everybody agrees with it. Matter of fact, if everybody agrees with it, you should probably question it. The test of a good thought process, the test of a good faith is not that everybody in the room goes, yeah, that's what everybody thinks now. Paul's saying, be rooted and built up because at some point in time, you're going to be standing in a room where everybody's agreeing on something that is not right. Right? And if you're standing in the room with everybody agreeing, and yet it's not godly, then there's a chance you could be taken captive by it. Well, everybody agreed. Everybody was thinking the same thing. Everybody, you know, it sounded good to everybody. You know, growing up, my parents never, my parents, that was never excuse if I got in trouble. If I got in trouble and I was in a group of people or I was at somebody else's house and, and they said, well, what'd you do? I said, well, everybody else thought it was a good idea they would have looked at me and said, but you know, we do not approve of that. So when I was raising my kids, we would sit them down and tell them, listen, the Joneses just do things a little bit different sometimes. There's going to be some things that your mother and I are not going to allow you to do, even though possibly all of your friends' parents allow them to do it. Just because everybody's saying it's okay does not mean it's okay. So watch this back to the Constitution. West Virginia has about 1.7 million people in it. We're obviously not a very big state. We have probably more uh, mountains than people. If 1.7 million people in West Virginia got together and agreed that, uh, and and agreed on a law, let's just, you can make it up, whatever you want it to be. Agreed on a law. 1.7 million people agreed on a law tomorrow. And we voted that law into existence in West Virginia. We said, we the residents of West Virginia, we want our lives to look like this. And we have solidarity in this issue. And we have we have 100% unanimous agreement on this issue. By the way, which will never happen, but let's say it did. We have 100% unanimous agreement on this issue. And we voted on it, and tomorrow it became the law of the state of West Virginia. What would then happen is that law would then be compared to the Constitution. And the Constitution, the Supreme Court of the Land, could decide whether if 1.7 million people agreed on it or not, whether that law... Fit under the authority of the Constitution. So I'm telling you, church, it doesn't matter if everybody agrees or not. It doesn't matter if, if everybody in our town thinks this is the way to go. It doesn't matter if you turn on cable news at night and they're telling you this is the way that you do this. It doesn't matter if the latest books come out in schools and tell you this is the way to do this. Paul is setting up the argument in front, in front of the court that if you go along with agreement, just because everybody's agreeing, it doesn't mean that it fits under the authority of Christ. It doesn't mean if what is said over here, even if it's agreed on, if it doesn't match the will of God, don't build on that. Don't let that take, take you captive. Don't, don't submit to that. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. So it's not just about being around people who are rooted and built up. Paul is revealing the necessity of being personally rooted and built up. This is not just about hanging around the right people. This is a personal growth program that you yourself have to be rooted in faith in Jesus and then build on that. Because one day you will be standing in a room full of people proposing something that is not the will of God. And he's not, He's saying, you have to be able to differentiate between that. You become your own Supreme Court. Well, how do I know? Well, I've got to know what the Bible says. I've got to know what it says about that. I've got to be built up in it. You know, there's so many things in today's culture that everybody is just shaking their heads about. I mean, you know, live your best life now and do whatever makes you happy and find yourself and don't do anything that makes you sad or is too difficult. You know, just, just be, find your best life. And I scroll through Instagram and, and everybody, every, evidently the best life is to be on a beach somewhere doing nothing all the time. Now, if that's what you think is your best life, then I apologize up front. But how could that possibly be your best life? I mean, I could see doing it for seven days, maybe 10 days, maybe stretch it out to 15 days. But sooner or later, that's not your best life anymore. But because millions of people on Instagram are shaking their heads going... Oh man, the goal in life is just to get enough money that you can move to the beach and do nothing. Which, by the way, at some point in time would be the least fulfilling life you could ever experience. But because everybody's shaking their head with it. I read a book recently called Personality Isn't Permanent. And so making the case that our society, we are all shaking our, we are going along with it about things in school that that students have deemed too difficult, too anxiety-producing to keep doing, like giving speeches. <laughs> uh, the writer of the book says says that that current popular culture in schools is to uh is to put off students in high school giving speeches. Because it produces too much anxiety in students to think about giving a speech. Hence, we're back to the idea, if it causes pain in our life, we, we, we shouldn't do it. If, it. if it's too uncomfortable, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do it. We should only do the things that make us feel good. Well, if that was the case, we'd all weigh 500 pounds and we'd be in Twinkies nonstop and drinking beer till we fell over. It would just, because it all feels good in the moment. But there's this little teeny secret in the Bible That says sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end of it ends up being death. And I like to tell everybody, if you try to make it out that sin is not fun, then you haven't sinned very much. Sin is fun at the beginning. That's why we do it. Nobody's ever approached me with a sin and they went, this is going to be the worst thing you've ever done. It's going to feel terrible. It's it, it tastes terrible. It feels terrible. There's no benefit to it. No, sin is enticing because it tastes good. It feels good. It makes you, it, it, it feeds all those things in your body. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is great. And then we keep doing it. We keep doing it. We keep doing it. And we get addicted. And the next thing you know, it leads to death. It's the pattern of death over and over and over and over again. So now popular culture tells us, do what makes you feel good. When scripture says, sin makes you feel good for a little while. Do what makes you feel good. No, if we're rooted and built up in our faith, as Paul is, is imploring us to do, be rooted and built up in the faith. If we do that, then all of a sudden, I can differentiate between this is a good idea and this is a God idea. I can differentiate between everybody's nodding their head and culture is going this way, and what are we doing? This is not what God wants us to do. Paul says, your faith will get tested. And it'll get tested in subtle ways where it feels like feel where it feels like everybody's in agreement. And this philosophy, this Gnosticism was coming into the church, and a lot of people are shaking their heads like, hey, these are good ideas. Paul's saying, Don't be captive to it. Don't let it take you captive. In a quick search of the New Testament you can find verse after verse after verse where Paul is writing to the churches and saying this, do not be deceived. And the way to not be deceived is to be built up in the faith, to know what you believe. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 10. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Ephesians 5, verse 6. Galatians 6, verse 7. All these are do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. It's just a quick little search. if we submit to the authority of Christ in our lives as the root of our salvation, as the basis for our salvation, and we build on that, I need to warn you, you will most likely not build a life that goes along with everything else. Church, I'm just being honest with you. At some point in time, Everybody in the room is going to be shaking their head. Yes. And you're going to have to say, I answer to a higher authority than popular opinion. You don't have to say it out loud, but you're going to, the Holy Spirit is going to reckon that in your life. In that moment, everybody's going to be shaking their head. This is the way to think. This is the way to go. This is what, this is the new deal. Now, this is what everybody's doing. And you're going to have to, we we think it's just teenagers that do that. We think, oh, I'm out of my teen years. I don't have to worry about that anymore. This is something we should be considering all the time. Just because it's popular doesn't make it godly. Paul's saying you can't be captive to those type of things. Then he says this. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. Paul goes back to, to the image of chapter one, where he says, in him, the full deity existed. He, he goes back to that Jesus is God and he is the one that rescued us. He is the one that saved us. And he goes through this kind of long explanation that we were, we were part of the uncircumcision, the, the, the apart from God. If you want to use those, those, um, Jewish terms, They, they were, they were outsiders. We were away from God. And that through a circumcision, not of hands, not like the Jewish culture, but through faith in Christ, which made us part of God's family, which made us an heir of Christ, part, we became part of it through Christ's death and resurrection. He gave us entrance into a relationship with God. We have been filled with Christ now, who is fully God and has all authority. So we, we went back to chapter 1. He is supreme over everything. And now he's saying, he is in us. That authority of God is in us. So now, now that's built up. Now it's tested. The, the faith is tested. And we can revert to, he, Christ is living in us. Romans 8, 11. You've heard me say this before. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Then he who raised Christ from Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through a spirit who dwells in you. There's an authority greater than death that lives in us. There's an authority greater than sickness that lives in us. There's an authority greater than disease, greater than your problems, greater than greater than your neighbor, greater than the person you work with. There's authority greater than everybody shaking their heads at the same time saying, this is what you should do. There's an authority greater than that at work within you and paul's making a heavy case here to say the authority is with christ and christ is in you now i need to lean in this for a second i need to lean this paul describes this radical transformation that we've went through now listen this is not this is not you just put on a different suit or you started liking to wear Nikes instead of Reeboks. He's not talking about that transformation. He's talking about a total transformation. Uh, all things have passed. Old things have passed away, Paul wrote. And all things have become new. He transformed you. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So, so this is not... I just changed a couple of my behaviors. I I just I I just started talking different. I, I I started going different places. This is not a matter of your will that you just cleaned up some stuff you've been nagged about. This isn't about you started picking up your underwear because your wife got sick of telling you. This isn't about you started taking out the trash. This isn't about that. This is about this is about back to verse six. That you've been rooted in Christ. You've been transformed in him. And now he dwells in you. Paul is leaning into this in a heavy way. That you have been transformed in Christ Jesus. And he makes this case about debt. The debt that you had. The debt that you had. You've been You've been transformed. Forgiven, made alive, and all debts canceled. All debts cancel. That's important. Because uh, uh, we need to talk about how the debts were canceled for a second. Have you ever forgiven anybody? Some of you are like, yeah, once, once or twice maybe I forgave somebody. You ever forgiven anybody? Let me ask you like this. Have you ever forgiven anybody and they didn't even know you forgave them? I've done that before. I might've been holding something against somebody and they didn't even know they did it. And so I'm reading the Bible and prayer or something and God reveals something to me. And, and he, he says, man, the way you're thinking about, that's ridiculous. Just forgive them. Let them go. Don't hold that against them anymore. And so what happens is I forgive them but I don't have any authority over him because I just wrote it off. I just forgave him. We might not even had a conversation, about. I just wrote it off. It's not a big deal. Whatever, I'm letting it go. It doesn't bother me anymore. I forgave him. We don't have to have a conversation about it. It's just over, just wrote it off, whatever. doesn't even matter. The danger is that you treat your salvation like that. So Paul's saying, remember, Christ is supreme. His will is perfect. His will is supreme. So he's supreme over us. He has saved us through his resurrection, through his death and resurrection. He saved us. He's saying, be built up in that because your faith is going to be tested. But now he's going to swing back around and make this case that he paid our debts. And this is, you have to. Get a hold of this right here. Because if you understand this correctly, you'll understand, you'll understand why the authority matters. So he says that he paid our debts. They were paid by his sacrifice on the cross. So listen to me. Debts forgotten are different than debts paid for. Debts forgotten are different than debts paid for debts that are paid for give the payee an authority over the debtor did you hear that first corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 to 20 the band's going to come up it says this now paul's talking about sexual sin here but he's going to make a statement about your body he's going to make a statement about your body What, what what have you been told about your body what have you told about, it, about your body? It is conventional wisdom right now that it's your body, your choice. And both sides of the aisle are arguing about it. This is the most amazing thing. So right now, the whole country is in agreement. It's your body, your choice. Think about it. When it comes to the abortion issue, what do we say? The, the common on the on the pro-abortion side, the common thought process is, it's your body, your choice. Now, when it comes to the vaccine issue, the other side of the aisle says, it's your body, your choice. You shouldn't have to be mandated to do it. So now the whole nation, when you say your body, your choice, somebody goes, yep, 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 yep. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, nobody should make you do anything with your body. In the pro-abortion argument, they say, well, you should be able to make your own decision. And then the, and then the anti-vax side goes, well, you should be able to make your decision. And the whole country is just saying, Yeah, it's your body, your choice, your body, your choice, your body, your choice. And then Paul writes to the Corinthians about sex. And he says this. Remember, the whole country right now is shaking our heads. Your body, your choice. Your body, your choice. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Remember we said Jesus is the authority over everything, and that authority, the full deity of God in Jesus is in us now. So Paul's reiterating that in 1 Corinthians. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God you are not your own. you're bought with a price your body your choice though right Well God can. God can't make me. It's my body by choice like every every smart person knows that every, everybody knows that everybody's saying it everybody's saying. It your body, your choice, everybody. Both sides of the aisle said, both sides. Yeah, I mean, your body, your choice, then Paul. But but being built up in the faith means that I can't be sexually promiscuous because all of a sudden I found out it's not my body anymore. All of a sudden I find out that once I'm rooted in Christ and once the, he's the authority in my life, which I willingly allowed him to be, Jesus forces no one to bow knee in salvation. He will force everybody one day to bow. But that will be when he is made king over everything. But at this point in the in the era of grace that we live in, he's forcing no one. So I came to him. The Spirit drew me. I came to him and I willfully laid my down my will for his submitted to his authority in my life, only to pick it back up. But everybody's shaking their head, going, Yeah, that's true, that's true. Your body, your choice, that's true. No, no, no. now that the authority of Christ is not only over me, but reigns in me, Paul says, you can't do whatever you want with your own body because it's not yours anymore. You were bought with a price. The price of Jesus himself, God himself hanging on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin. So God did not write off your sin as if it didn't matter. There was no just stroke of a pen going, "Ah, we'll just act like that didn't happen. Like that didn't happen. Act like that didn't happen. Act like that didn't happen. No, there was a debt to be paid. Listen to me, church. There was a debt to be paid for your rottenness and my rottenness, for your, for your anti-authority mentality, for your, it's my body, I'll do what I want mentality. There was a price to be paid for rejecting God. And God paid it in Himself. So Jesus hangs on the cross and dies. And then when we accept Christ, we accept his authority in our lives and we submit to his will and we realize I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. I don't care if everybody's shaking their heads that this is the right thing to do. I don't care if everybody's shaking their heads. My body, my choice. I just found out it's not my choice anymore. I found out I submit my will to God's will. I find out the way my test faith is tested is that when everybody's shaking their head yes, I go to the authority and find out that it's actually no. Here's the problem. Just stand to your feet? I you listen to this. Making the case here that you need to be rooted and built up because if you're not careful, you can come to church every single week of your life and be held captive because the authority of Jesus is not reigning in your life, so we're captive to everybody just shaking their heads, we're captive to the idea that I can do whatever I want. There was a price, a precious blood of Jesus was shed for you. And it's not an idea of I'm going to give up all the fun stuff in my life. It's the idea of I'm going to submit my rotten will for the will of an almighty God who loves me beyond comprehension. And my best life now is the life that he's carved out for me. My best life now is doing His will. My best life now, as Paul would say is I take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. My best is submitting to His will. So here again in chapter two, Paul is saying, listen, if you, if you have a question about who reigns supreme, if you have a question about if everybody's shaking their head, please be built up in the faith and be able to make a, make us, differentiation between if everybody's in agreement, but hold it up to what he said. It's his will, not ours. He paid for the authority in our lives. He paid for it with his own blood. And our devotion to him means we submit to that authority. Amen. Come on, lift your hands in the room this morning. Come on, we're going to give him our praise and our honor. We're going to submit to his will this morning. We're going to know that he is ruler and reigns over our lives with a compassionate heart, with with a just heart, that he is for us and with us. And we don't have to be held captive by anything else. We are his. Come on, lift your voice, sing it out. Give him honor and praise this morning for who he is and what he's done.